0: Um, hi everyone, welcome to the third episode of um, WAC's Coffee Club Insights. Um, today is a great pleasure for me to welcome four Warwick alumni, uh, Ms. Anvita Basu, Head of Asia Country Risk Solutions at fin Solutions in Singapore. Thank you for joining us today, Ms. Anvita. Thanks,
1: thanks um, yeah. for having me. <laughs>
0: um, prior to her current role, Ms. Anvita was an Emerging Markets Economist at the globally renowned uh, independent research provider, TS Lombard in London, before joining the Intelligence Unit of The Economist as a Lead Asia Analyst, and then finally serving as the Country Risk Service Manager for Asia. Given her vast experience in microeconomics and policy-making analysis of Asian countries, um, such as uh, South Korea, Thailand, and Indonesia, Ms. Anwita regularly features on news outlets such as CNBC and ANC 24-7 to share her expertise on emerging markets and economic forecasts. Today, Ms. Anwita will be sharing her expert opinion on how well ASEAN countries have dealt with post-COVID social economic fall and how should ASEAN preposition itself to emerge stronger in the next three to five years. So for my first question, um, it has been six months since ASEAN, the ASEAN region has felt the full effects of the post-COVID um, uh, effects. So leading ASEAN countries like Singapore and Thailand are expected to see contractions in their GDP of 7-8%. to 8%, um, And it's clear that lockdown measures have affected the region in three key areas, exports, tourism and domestic demand. Um, in, in your opinion, which countries in ASEAN have had the most success in their policies in dealing with the effects of COVID-19 and what are some of their most effective policies so far?
1: Um, sure, thanks Jeremy. Um, I, think, I think the biggest winner so far uh, in terms of uh, ASEAN is has been Vietnam, which was uh, very early um, in terms of um, closing closing down, closing the borders, um, uh, lifting sort of uh, implementing containment measures, um, and has uh, therefore seen f- a fairly sort of minimal impact, uh, at least from a domestic demand perspective. Um, of course, exports, uh, sort of the external sector in Vietnam has also been hit and it is also dependent on tourism and that's obviously been hit. Um, we've also uh, seen sort of a few cases, uh, new cases in Da Nang uh, over recent weeks. Um, so it's not been a perfect solution, but Vietnam is certainly a uh, sort of emerges as as uh, sort of a winner or a leading um, in, uh, economy uh, in terms of containing the virus um, Thailand, Malaysia have uh, also been um, fairly um, good uh, in terms of containing the virus uh, Thailand especially um, I think what's interesting in Thailand is that they haven't had to Institute uh, sort of lockdown measures as such, except they've obviously closed the borders, just as every country in the world has. Um, But they have essentially installed things like emergency rule, um, which uh, which Thailand as a country is is used to. and uh, and Malaysia essentially installed extremely extremely stringent uh, containment measures uh, very early on. Um, I think it start began uh, around uh, early March, uh, and so they've managed. Then they managed to um, they they managed to curtail uh, the sort of outbreak quite quickly. Um, But the measures that they put in place were extremely stringent uh, to the extent that they had to actually roll out the army uh, to sort of stop people from... Uh, leaving the houses uh, significantly stricter than um, than um, the uh, containment measures installed in in Singapore. I think Singapore was interesting because Singapore started off uh, on a very um, sort of effective um, in a very effective way uh, as as a country it has uh, experience in such outbreak uh, from SARS in 2003. Um, but Singapore had one one major flaw, and that was that they forgot about um, uh, the dorm dormitories uh, where um, sort of workers, Im- Im- immigrant workers, and essentially workers live in close proximity, and that's essentially um, obviously. The biggest uh, risk in terms of where uh, the infection could potentially spread, uh, like wildfire, and that's essentially what happened in Singapore. So, if you were to take away all those cases in the dormitories, um, Singapore has been uh, would have emerged as a as a leading um, sort of country in terms of containing this 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 virus. Um, also, Singapore has the lowest mortality rate, so um, it just goes to show that uh, the the, the uh, despite the numbers which are overly inflated by these cases in the dormitories, um, Singapore is also actually right up there in terms of being able to keep the vi- the virus on hold. And um, interestingly, with uh, as they have brought down the containment missile to reduce the stringency of the containment measures. Um, it, it looks like uh, they may not face a second wave um, like in Australia and Hong Kong um, because they have been reducing the stringency quite um Quite slowly, so they, so that's that seems like an effective way of doing things, uh, which is essentially to review, uh, review the sort of level of stringency uh, every, ev- every every month essentially to see w- where they stand in terms of, um, in terms of number of new cases in the community itself. Um, so I think from an effectiveness p- perspective, it is difficult, but um, uh, the most effective, one of the more effective uh, measures that have been has been taken across the board, is obviously the border closures. Um, now this is this is really really bad for ASEAN economies, and so. Yeah. How sustainable it is 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 another question, really, and I really don't think that another year of closed borders across ASEAN is going to be is is going to be sustainable for any of the economies. Um, another effective way, effective measure, is uh, tracing. Uh, contact tracing has been um, has helped, and it has helped bring bring down cases. It has helped mitigate. Um, you know contain uh, mitigate the contagion effectively uh and you know we saw this successful in in south korea but i think it's it's it was also quite successful in singapore um, in in Vietnam and, and Thailand, I think uh, there was a combination of early border closures, um, an acceptance and, 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 and sort of significant ramp up of public health uh, sort of messaging uh, people uh, sort of it, it, it was they were able to uh, contain it simply by raising awareness. Uh, which I think is also an interesting way of doing things. And it's probably the most sustainable way of doing things because again, eventually you will have to allow more movement of people uh, because that is what the regional economy is built from so i think yeah i think those four measures and testing uh, ramping up testing uh which uh is is harder to do uh, in larger populations but it certainly has helped sort of um locate the s- sort of hotspot areas um and you know how uh, uh and and sort of quickly um reduce the contagion that way um, so those have been, those have been uh, effective measures. As I said, I think the border closures are are the most harmful and the least sustainable.
0: That's a really, really concise and um, detailed answer. Thank you for that, uh, Ms. Amita. Um Speaking on uh, government policies, it is extremely notable that the majority of ASEAN countries have regarded COVID-19 as a very grave matter. So in response, they have implemented a variety of of fiscal and monetary stimulus packages, Um, to definitely counteract negative effects of the virus. Um, For countries like Singapore, the total stimulus package has amounted to close to 100 billion Singapore dollars, which is around 20% of its GDP. Um, Therefore, it's clear that ASEAN governments are on the front foot trying to boost up the economy. But I am worried that these policies will further increase the amount of sovereign and public debt along with debt servicing costs. Um, so my question to you would be, do current expansionary fiscal and monetary policies put governments in a weaker and less flexible position to combat further crisis? Um, and if a suitable vaccine cannot be found in the next 18 months, How sustainable are these economic uh, policies used to combat the virus?
1: Uh, That's a really good question Um, and I share your concerns around this. Um, I think what's interesting is that the conversation around expansionary fiscal and monetary uh, policy has changed significantly since the global financial crisis where, and, and essentially we haven't seen extremely tight uh, monetary policy um, globally uh, since then. Um, that said, uh, in, within the ASEAN uh, where many countries like Indonesia, Philippines, um they do have uh, structural inflation uh, inflation problems um and they have had more sort of leeway around uh, monetary policy uh and have a, a more generally uh, sort of adopted a tighter monetary policy stance um are having to uh, also um adopt uh, these sort of um, more unconventional monetary policy tools in order to support the economy which puts them more at risk uh, because their fundamentals aren't as strong as uh, fundamentals of developed markets which have traditionally been the ones um, uh, sort of adopting um, loose monetary policies. Uh, Having said that, uh, I think the fiscal expansion um, that we have seen so far has been very interesting. Every country has adopted different method of trying to finance it without expanding because, without purely expanding their debt profiles and even even if they are expanding their debt profiles, they're doing it in a fairly sustainable way in terms of um you know the length the time timelines around the debt that they are um, they are accruing so for instance, Indonesia um, is accruing extremely long term debt uh, to finance this, so uh, they' are only issuing. Then they, they, the, they were the first uh, ASEAN country to issue something called the pandemic bond, uh, which uh, has a term limit of I think fifty years or something like oh, that. So that's it's extremely, extremely long dated. Yeah. yeah. So um, they are uh, consistently across the region. Um, there is th- the approaches are a lot more. Uh, sustainable and economically sound than they obviously were during even during the uh, global financial crisis. But um, actually, uh, these countries are uh, have really shown that they have learned a lesson from the Asian financial crisis. So a lot of their macroeconomic systems that we are dealing with now in uh, in the ASEAN is is structurally a lot stronger uh, to to handle. Will a debt pile up um, than they were uh, during the Asian financial crisis and during the global financial crisis? But um, what is more likely that is that um, they that this year and next year percent, potentially we're going to see uh, expansionary fiscal policy but uh, but that's not sustainable, like you said. Um, yeah. and and uh, governments uh, know this. Uh, the governments which uh, don't look to um, sort of re-establish fiscal discipline over the medium term, will get hurt by um, from from the perspective of uh, attracting foreign investment uh, because obviously that that the Investor investor sentiment will be hurt if they don't have um, sensible uh, fiscal accounts and they have a high public debt. Um, and equally, uh, governments which do uh, reestablish fiscal discipline will have to do it at the cost of uh, slower growth. Essentially, and why I say I say this is essentially because the economic fallout, specifically on unemployment. Of this is going to be quite severe, and I, I personally think that uh, we don't even have a reckoning of of, of, of the scale of this. Just because, um, again, like I said before, the economy, the 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 regional economy, is very dependent on. Um, <clears throat> On, on tourism and just the movement of, of people, um, even immigration. So the export of labor from this region is quite high. Uh, and we're going to see sort of both these factors being being hit um, and especially hitting sort of informal, sort of just labor and more generally. So um, the, the, just to mitigate that unemployment problem, is going to take, I believe, a few years because to bring back, bring those industries back online. Um, And that will sort of conflict with your fiscal austerity measures. So the medium term, I think, looks Concerning from a growth perspective, we're definitely going to see a slowing in the region rel- over the next five years relative to the previous five years, uh, and this is and uh, this is also going to be sort of exaggerated by the fact that China's economy will also be slowing in that in that period of time, and China is a big uh, trading partner of of the region. Uh, so it's. COVID-19 has certainly put a spanner on the works uh, towards the ASEAN um, economy uh, and definitely is going to act as a speed bump um, in terms of growth.
0: Thank you so much for the answer. I just have a, a follow-up questions. So in terms of um, the sustainability of um, policies, how should governments balance between um, like effective restrictions and or and as opposed to um, letting citizens um, go out? For example, in Singapore, we are currently in phase two. Um, like, how should the go- the government gauge when should be phase three? And there would inevitably be a, a spike in uh, coronavirus cases, especially when yeah. there's no vaccine at the moment.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's a uh, you know it's a very difficult question. I don't think anyone's got the answer to it. Um, it's I think so far uh, this year we have seen all, all governments of the world trying to balance out the effect of, on the economy uh, w- with the, ba- uh, the effect on the public health system. I believe that eventually the economy will win because um, you know uh, you it's as i said it's just not sustainable to shut down to keep uh, a large portion of the economy completely shut down um uh because uh, you know the because governments won't be able to uh support those jobs for for long and uh, as unemployment uh rats, it drums up you're gonna have you're faced with uh, you know political discontent you're faced with uh, you're faced basically you're faced with a lot bigger problems uh, than just pressure on your public health care system i yeah. think say for instance this, uh, singapore's my personal view on singapore's plan is to um try to uh, reduce the, uh, sort of, try to test as many people as they can uh, within the dormitories, bring down that sort of load, uh, and then uh, go into phase three. uh, Because really speaking, if you look at the uh, number of cases that Singapore has and the number of cases that have been discharged, it's almost the same so um it's i mean in the sense that there aren't there aren't a lot of people still in hospital or in, in sort of they're in isolation or they're in sort of they're not essentially adding to the public healthcare system as such it's just it's just the um num- the the number of cases are rising because testing is rising but these cases aren't serious cases so you're not having a spike in mortality you're not having a spike in ICU patients and so on uh so so long as they can maintain that balance um that of like increased testing um whilst uh, you know whilst keeping the hospitalization rates down and and the you know and the um death rate down um they are gonna have to uh take a call and eventually i think they will take a call uh in favor of the economy uh, i think a country like singapore can afford to do this because they have a quite a very good public health care system. Uh, and they have, um, they, as I said earlier, they have experience of dealing with um, SARS and, uh, uh, and, and dealing with uh, this sort of um, outbreak um, in the past. Um, so their public health care systems are um, sort of built for things like this. I think other countries in the region will have uh, face a more difficult time. Say, say for instance, look what's happening in Indonesia, right? Indonesia uh, caseloads are rising, but and and really speaking, they haven't really been able to uh, reduce the stringency level of the confinement measures to an extent that other countries have in the region uh but uh eventually indonesia's economy won't be able to afford to um to keep to keep these measures because people uh because you know unlike people in singapore who are mostly um who who are um sort of mostly uh white collar workers um they, they the indonesians can't work from home indonesians uh i mean you know they need, the indonesians need to travel indonesia needs need to move out there are more informal jobs there uh there is more political um uh, sort of political impact um and and you know vested interest at stake so i think eventually the economy will win out across the board um and it really depends on the public health care systems um, in terms of handling that stress, but um, but it is inevitable. Another year of this is going to yeah. it is not going to be very difficult for every country to manage.
0: yes and and I just want to talk more about like the psychologies of a consumer. For example, if you have like expansionary like uh, fiscal monetary policy. With such a uh, bad job climate, even with such policies, would a uh, day-to-day consumer be willing to spend, or would they be rather willing to save the cash in hand? And so there's this uh, conversations about uh, governments in UK, in uh, in America, doing negative interest rates. What are your thoughts on such a policy in ASEAN, in the ASEAN perspective?
1: Um, I think ASEAN doesn't really need to um, go into that negative interest rate uh, territory. Uh, Yes, savings rates are going to go up um, this year. Uh, and potentially next year, but that's that's partly down to the fact that there are fewer things to consume. Um, essentially, if you're in lockdown or yeah. if you're stuck at home, <laughs> you know, um, you it's interesting that like, if you see uh, look at uh, sort of high frequency data. Um, I think one of the more interesting ones are uh, from sort of the global mobility data that uh, Google uh, Google has. Um, In that, you see that uh, consistently uh, retail activity, so your malls and things haven't, uh, have seen uh, a sharp drop, uh, but, you know, your grocery shopping and uh, pharmacies and your everyday sort of household consumable goods um, uh, have remained pretty uh, solid because people are, in fact in fact, in many countries i'm sure it's increased like in singapore where people yes. would traditionally go out a lot more to eat and, have, and they're a lot more sort of out outwardly so retail would uh, retail and, and and leisure and restaurants would be sort of foremost uh, whereas uh, grocery shopping would be less important so, consumer trends has definitely uh, shifted uh, towards sort of homebound consumption, uh, and that space as well. e-commerce, yes, yeah. e-commerce has done fabulously well thanks to this. And and to be honest, I mean, we're thankful that we have e-commerce yes, as yes, <laughs> uh, otherwise it would have been very difficult to survive through this. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, savings rates uh, definitely will increase and I think uh, consumers will definitely become uh, Are in fact, uh, th- th- there was, um, th- there was an interesting survey I saw just today uh, on, from the WEF, uh, the World Economic Forum, uh, which is, it's a YouGov survey and they've uh, looked at, uh, a wide variety of countries uh, including uh, several ASEAN countries uh, and they've basically asked posed two questions one is uh, what uh, two households one was um, do you uh, do you see well, how do you see the economic conditions pan out over the next twelve months? Uh, so the options were whether you know country is going to be in recession or you know there's going to be not there's going to be stability economic stability and um, you know it's going to be growth. Uh, and the second question was uh, you know how do you see your household income affected by COVID? And what was quite uh, interesting was that, um, you know, countries like Indonesia, Philippines emerged to be the most worried about both economic conditions as well as their household income. So that really goes to show that even even over the sort of short short period of time, these countries will see an increase in your savings rate because... If, if they're worried about their household income, they'd rather save over and, and consume sort of basics uh, over you know spending on discretionary. Um, I don't think uh, there is gonna be negative interest rates because there's still uh, room for cuts in most countries uh, and inflation is still in sort of positive t- territory um in most countries thailand being an exception in this but uh, there's still that um but yes i mean i the spending b- b- consumers will definitely become more uh, and have and will stay tentative about consumption you've seen this in china as well so china's economy uh, grew at by 3.2% uh, in the second quarter which was uh, stronger than expected, but um, private consumption didn't pick up. It was actually sort of government-led yeah. public uh, spending that kind of public public uh, infrastructure spending that was pushing up the economy. So consumers across the board uh, remain tentative, I think, um, and that's down to their concerns are around income. Their concerns around uh, going out and, you know, having fewer options. Um, And yeah, it's a good time to save, I suppose.
0: Yes, and it's really interesting times. And I think that's a really good answer. And for my last question, I would just like to uh, touch upon uh, something you said in in response to your first question. Um, You mentioned that Vietnam has really, really um, differentiated itself in terms of uh, um, its government policies on COVID nineteen, and so um, I'm quite sure you know that the ongoing U.S. China trade wars has led to this supply chain diversification out uh, away from China and into countries within the uh, within the ASEAN region, um, and so that has led to an increase in like foreign direct uh, direct investments into the economic bloc over the last few years, even before COVID nineteen. So this This whole pandemic has um, shown um, the weaknesses in companies uh, depending on just uh, China providing like a global supply chain for most of its products so um, i I want to just ask does this give rise to um, unhealthy competition among ASEAN states who are all vying for that increase in uh, fDI or uh, and also, how does this affect um, ASEAN's economic integration? As you know, each member state has uh, diverging domestic policies. For example, Vietnam, um, I think um, they, their initial agreement with ASEAN was that they need to use a certain amount of uh, ASEAN inputs for its exports. Mm-hmm. So now, I think it's just about to cross the threshold where it's not allowed to uh, use benefit from ASEAN-friendly uh, policies. Yes.
1: Uh, Yes, I mean again a great question. Um, I think supply chain diversification is uh, definitely something that we will be seeing a lot more of uh, over the coming decade. Uh, Supply chain diversification that is out of China Uh, and that is I believe there are two reasons driving this. Of course the US-China trade war has sort of accelerated that trend um, because companies want to, uh, whilst operating in China, they want to also uh, sort of be able to access uh, other markets, and they, and uh, in order to do so, it's it's less risky to operate out of um, potentially ASEAN countries. Uh, to, to access other markets um, and the second reason that's actually driving this is and this has been a trend for for a bit longer is that um, uh, that labor costs are rising in China and they have yeah. been rising for a while and China is also looking to move up the value chain so they are actively trying to push out uh, low, um, value, add, uh, sort of, uh, uh, goods that are being produced there. Um, so that affects sort of things like textiles and, you know, things like, that. Yeah. um, now I think, um, this, I, I think to your question around uh, unhealthy competition, um, in the ASEAN, I there is certainly a skew uh, in terms of uh, investment flow, and there is certainly a skew towards Vietnam because Vietnam is um, Vietnam offers a lot of uh, things to businesses um, uh, that other countries in the region don't. One is that there is general political stability. Two is that labor uh, costs are still relatively low. Three is that labor skills are high uh, enough to absorb uh, sort of medium-scale uh, manufacturing. Um, and three is that they are actively trying to um, the actively trying to sort of attract uh, investment. Uh, and they're doing so by, you know, by, through effective uh, negotiation of FTAs across the board, uh, and that puts them at a uh, competitive advantage to many others in the region. Um, say, I'm talking, I'm thinking, Indonesia, um, even the Philippines. Um, so th- th- that. Whether this is whether you call it unhealthy competition or whether you call it uh, healthy competition is um, is definitely uh, is, is, is is a question that we should be asking. But I think Vietnam does. Uh, uh, it look more attractive than many other markets even thailand for instance where you know the there's the, 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 the there is an aging population and skills levels have pretty much sort of saturated themselves uh so thailand is is uh although thailand is traditionally a market that has attracted a lot of fdi um same with malaysia uh, same problem, uh, and it has sort of difficult political dynamics going forward. So that keeps, um, you know, investors away at bay. So I, I don't think uh, that this dynamic will uh, jeopardize ASEAN integration. To be honest, I think actually um, ASEAN integration will be uh, uh, more successful uh, due. to To this trend of um, uh, diversification away from China, Uh, but yes, I think certain countries uh, will um, will win uh, more uh, compared to others. Um, Eventually, there will be some friction, certainly, uh, between countries which which are sort of vying for uh, similar sort of um, investments. But at the same time, it's probably worth noting that across the ASEAN, there's a lot of variation in terms of development, in terms of what the market can, can uh, it, what, what investors are looking for in that market. Uh, and so uh, maybe over the next decade, that, that's not a trend that's going to be, uh, that's that's not a trend that we should be worried about.
0: Yeah, I think that really just covers a lot of the, the current key trends in ASEAN. Um, thank you very much, Anita, for taking the time um, to give your answers. They were really insightful. And of course, it's always a pleasure to speak to a fellow Warwick alumni as well. Um, thank you so much. Yes. <laughs>